Well, by this time on that first Good Friday, it was finished. Uh, The cross had completed its cruel work. The suffering and death of Jesus was complete. By now, they had taken his body down off the cross, probably prepared it for burial, and maybe even had laid him in a tomb. And the disciples had to be wondering, like, what on earth just happened? Less than 24 hours ago, they were eating together. They were enjoying uh, the Last Supper, the Passover meal. They celebrated that together uh, in an upper room. And they left from there. And they went to a familiar place, a place where they had often gone to pray, the Garden of Gethsemane. And even there, as Jesus asked his disciples to, to stay awake, to keep watch, and as he pleaded with the Father to take this cup from him, they didn't recognize what was at stake. Three times. Three times Jesus came to them in the night uh, and found them asleep. And Luke records that he was in so much agony that sweat dripped from his skin like drops of blood hitting the ground. And through it all, his closest friends were taking a nap. Right up to the point where Judas arrived with a crowd. He arrived with a crowd armed with to the teeth with swords and clubs, and he walked up to Jesus, his rabbi, his friend, And with a kiss, he betrayed him to the crowd. They seized him and they arrested him and they took him first before Annas, um, one of the priests, a religious leader. It was likely a stall tactic as Caiaphas, the uh, lead priest, the chief priest that year, assembled the Sanhedrin and uh, the elders. And when enough time had passed, Annas bound Jesus and sent him to Caiaphas. And it was at Caiaphas' house that people started lying about Jesus. They made false false accusations about what he had said and what he had done. And uh, Caiaphas listened to it all, but their stories kept contradicting each other. And as this was going on, there was Peter, who was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his closest friends. He had been following from a distance, and he stood warming himself by a fire, And when someone recognized him, they said, "Uh, weren't you with Jesus in the garden? Aren't you one of his disciples? You are, aren't you? I recognize you. And Peter denied it. And he said he didn't know who he was talking about. And he, he swore at them. And just then the rooster crowed. Just as Jesus predicted, the rooster crowed. And just in that moment, Peter had denied Jesus. Well, the crowd was still having trouble getting their story straight, and they recognized that they had no legal authority to do with Jesus what they really wanted to do with Jesus anyway, which was put him to death. See, the Jews didn't really like the death penalty, but in some cases it served its purposes, and so they had to find somebody who did have that authority. And so they took him before the Roman governor over the area, a man named Pontius Pilate. Now, Pilate, he had the power to crucify And crucifixion was what they wanted. So Pilate brought Jesus in and questioned him and and found there was nothing of substance to charge him with. And so Pilate tried to have him set free, but the crowd insisted that he be put to death. They said he stirred up the, the, the people all the way from Galilee down to Jerusalem. And hearing this, Pilate heard an out because he said, oh, he's from Galilee. Well, if he's from Galilee, he's not really under my jurisdiction And so he had him sent up to Herod, King Herod, Herod Antipas. And Herod was pleased with this because Herod had heard all about this Jesus. He had heard of the miracles he performed and Herod really wanted to see 
a miracle for himself. And maybe, just maybe if he comes before me, if he appears before me, he'll perform a miracle for me too. But Jesus wasn't there to perform. And he stood silently before Herod. He didn't open his mouth. Even as Herod and his men ridiculed Jesus, they made sport of him. They put a purple robe on him, mocking his claim to be a king. And then when they didn't get what they wanted out of him, they sent him back to Pilate a second time. And still not wanting to crucify Jesus, Pilate thought, well, maybe if I beat him, that will be enough for the people. That'll satisfy the crowd. So he had Jesus stripped of his purple robe and had him flogged. Now, flogging was a punishment so severe that it sometimes brought death itself. Uh, The soldiers continually whipped the back of a victim with a cat of nine tails, which was basically uh, nine leather straps embedded with stone or bone or shards of ceramic. Uh, They would tear through the skin down into the flesh and cut straight through to the muscle or to the bone and tear through the back of Jesus. And the Roman soldiers twisted together a crown made of sharp thorns and they put it on Jesus' head and then they put the purple robe back on him and put a sign over his head that said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face and hit him over the head with a heavy staff over and over and over again. And Pilate hoped this would be enough for the crowd, that maybe if he was beaten and his back torn to shreds and and he had blood dripping down his forehead, that would be enough to satisfy them. He was beaten and disfigured and he brought them back, brought Jesus back before the crowd. And he said, look, I'm bringing him out to let you know I see no reason to charge this man. But when the chief priests saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. And so Pilate gave in to the crowd. After all, it's much easier to govern if you're popular with the people. And so he washed his hands in front of them and handed Jesus over to be crucified, putting the cross beam on his back, his already torn and shredded back. The soldiers led him to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. They nailed his hands and feet to the cross and then they raised him up on the cross, a cross not unlike this one right here. They raised him up and he hung there, according to Mark's gospel anyway, he hung there around nine in the morning until Mark would say until the sixth hour, which is about 3 p.m. I'm sorry, till the ninth hour, about 3 p.m. For six hours, Jesus hung there. He hung with spikes in his wrists and in his feet. And the Romans had perfected this cruel punishment of crucifixion to the point where they would uh, nail the victim to a cross in such a way that um, the arms would be stretched upward as the victim got tired and sank down. And that would put pressure on the diaphragm and the victim was unable to breathe. And so they'd have to push up painfully against their feet in order to catch a breath and open up their lungs. And then once they caught their breath, they would sink back down into that painful pose and putting all the weight back on the shoulders and the arms and the wrists for six hours. For six hours, Christ suffered like this. He suffered on the cross until eventually his legs lost their strength. And when the cross had nearly taken its final gruesome toll, Jesus gathered up the strength to bring in one last breath. And as he exhaled, he said, It is finished. It is finished. In Greek, it's just one word. It's the word tetelestai. It means to bring to an end, to complete or accomplish. It's an important word because it points to the successful end of a particular course of action. I love what Dr. Ray Pritchard said of the Greek word tetelestai. 
He said this, it's the word you would use when you climb to the peak of Mount Everest. It's the word you would use when you turn in the final copy of your dissertation. It's the word you would use when you make the final payment on your new car. It's the word you would use when you cross the finish line of your first 10K run. The word means more than just I survived. It means I did exactly what I set out to do. When Jesus breathed his last and said, it is finished. What was finished? Exactly what he set out to do. We can see three things, I think, that were finished by Jesus's work on the cross. Number one is this, Christ's obedience was complete. Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are yet without sin. Think about that for a minute. He was tempted not in some ways. He was tempted in every way, every category of temptation that you can think of, every category of temptation that you have ever faced, Jesus faced it too. Yet, he stood up to it. He was without sin. He was completely obedient to the Father, even in the face of temptation. And Hebrews 5.8 tells us that he learned obedience through what he suffered. Not just on the cross. When we think of Jesus' suffering, we think of the cross immediately. But throughout his life, his life was a lesson in suffering. And all throughout that life, never giving in, never choosing what was easy, always pleasing to, always choosing to obey his father. He learned obedience through that. And the apostle Paul makes it clear in Philippians 2 that Christ humbled himself and became obedient even to death on a cross. That Jesus set out to live a perfect, sinless life of obedience before the father. And with his last breath, he declared, I did it. I accomplished what I set out to do, to tell us die. My life of obedience is finished. There's another thing that we can see that was finished on the cross, and it's this, God's wrath was absorbed. See, sin had eternally separated us from God, and Romans 6.23 tells us that the cost of sin, the price of sin, the wages of sin was death. That every single one of us, we deserved death. We deserve death the wrath of God poured out onto us. But the Bible also tells us that God loves us so much. He loved the world so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, who absorbed God's wrath on the cross for us. And 600 years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah foretold what it would take for the Messiah to remove God's wrath and save his people. In Isaiah 53, 5, speaking of Jesus, the prophet wrote this, He said, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds, we are healed. You see that Jesus was our substitute. The the wrath of God, which the whole world was subject to, was laid on him instead. It was intended for us, but Jesus absorbed it for us when he said, it is finished. But not only was the wrath of God absorbed, there's a third thing that we can see is finished here, and that's that your sin was forgiven, that my sin was forgiven. It's not just that Jesus's death absorbed the wrath of God for the whole world, but that for you and me, it made a way for us to be personally forgiven of our sin and to have a relationship with God through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5 says it this way, God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, God took Jesus who had no sin and put all our sin on him so that he could take us who had no righteousness and put all of Jesus's righteousness on us. Ephesians 1 says it this way, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in, according, in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Or another translation, one I really like says this, says he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Isn't that amazing? That not only did Jesus absorb the wrath of God on the cross, but for you and me, he took our sin personally. You know, hopefully you did get a rock when you walked in. I just want you to get that right now. Grab that and hold it in your hand for a minute. Just feel that rock. Feel how it has some weight to it, right? It's got some mass, right? I mean, you can feel that in your hand. You can feel it when you move it from hand to hand. You can feel that there's weight to that. This is supposed to represent the weight of your sin. Now, some of you think, now, now my sin, my sin's not that bad. My sin's not that heavy. And some of you think, uh, I need a bigger rock, right? Don't look at your neighbor's rock, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's okay. It's, it's meant to be symbolic, all right? We're gonna just hold on to that because we're gonna do something kind of neat with it here in a few minutes. But I want you to know that all of your sin, like Jesus took all of that, that all of it was forgiven at the cross. He took all of your garbage, all of your sin, everything that you ever did, everything that you ever will do. And on the cross, he bore the wrath of God for those things. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And not only was he crushed for our sin, but you might say he was crushed by our sin. At the end of it all, he exclaimed, it is finished. Oswald Chambers writes this. He says, God forgives sin only because of the death of Christ. God could forgive people in no other way than by the death of his son. And the greatest note of triumph ever sounded in the ears of a startled universe was that sound on the cross of Christ. It is finished. That is the final word in the redemption of humankind. You know, as followers of Jesus, we can be tempted to look past Good Friday to Easter, can't we? Uh, we want to celebrate. We want to celebrate the fact that Jesus has risen. But if you take a minute and put yourself in the disciples' shoes, like they didn't know what was going to happen. They, they watched all this with, in awe, right? With eyes wide open, wondering what is going to happen to our friend, to our teacher, to our rabbi. And let's not lose sight of the fact that a very real man died a very real death and shed very real blood so that we could be forgiven of the sin that we've committed against God. And one more thing I just want you to know about the word tetelestai. That, that word in the Greek is in uh, what's called the perfect tense. Now, the perfect tense expresses an action that was completed in the past, but remains completed up until the present. In other words, it was finished on that day and in that place, but today, even in this place, it is finished. That means that all of your sin, past, present, and future sin, all of your sin can be forgiven 
You know, the punishment that we deserve for our sin when you place your trust in Jesus, that sin is taken from you and left at the cross and it doesn't have to come back with you. I mean, that's sin that you've committed in the past, sin that you're caught up in right now, and sin that you might commit in the future, even if you're a follower of Jesus. I mean, think about it. When Jesus went to the cross on your behalf, all of your sin was future sin. So you can be sure that Jesus' words, it is finished, are as relevant today as they were 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years from now, they'll be every bit as relevant as they are today. Because it is finished, sin has lost its power. Because it is finished, death has lost its sting. Because it is finished, we can be free Because it is finished, you and I can become the righteousness of God. Because it is finished, your debt is paid in full. Because it is finished, your sin can be forgiven, all of it. You don't have to carry the weight of that sin around anymore. You can leave it at the foot of the cross. And so here's what we're going to do as we close our service today. Uh, Before we do this, I want to remind you that we will be back to celebrate Easter on Sunday. And we do have a few invitation cards left in the back of the room. If you know somebody who needs to hear a very positive and, um, and hopeful message about the resurrection of Jesus, invite them to come on Sunday. But for now, I want to linger in this moment and think about the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. And so you've got this rock in your hand. You're holding it, hopefully. You're squeezing it. You're feeling the weight of it. And in just a minute, I'm going to pray. And then what I want to do is I want to give you the gift of time and space to just talk to your heavenly father. We're gonna give you some time in the room. As soon as I'm done praying, we're gonna start playing some music. And uh, I want you to think about the weight of your sin. I want you to think about the sacrifice that Jesus made on your behalf. And when you're ready, when you're at that place where you believe that Jesus has forgiven your sin and wants you to not carry it around anymore and wants you to leave it at the foot of the cross, what I want you to do is you can come up here and you can lay it right here at the foot of the cross and then you can walk out. You can just leave it right there. I'm just gonna ask if you do that, um, as you do, take as much time as you need, but just remember there are other people in the room, so as you leave, please leave quietly, okay? You, you can have as much time as you want, as little time as you want. Um, and also, if you didn't get to take communion and you wanna do that at the end, bring your rock, rock up here, go back and grab the elements and then you can take communion back in your seat, okay? Thanks for coming tonight, guys. Let's pray together. Father God, you didn't have to enter into relationship with us. But because you are rich in mercy, you chose to send your son to die the death that we deserve. And we thank you for that tonight, Father. We thank you so much that you sacrificed for us, that you saw fit that the children you have created could be in a relationship with you, and there was only one way you saw to do that. God, I thank you that we don't have to carry our sin around, that because Jesus said it is finished, we have assurance that his obedience is complete, that the wrath of God has been absorbed, and that we can be forgiven of our sin. God, it's one thing to believe that with our head. It's another thing to really live that out in our heart. And so help us in this next few moments as we just contemplate what it means that you took away our sin. Help us to live from a place of forgiveness. Help us to live in the idea that you took our sin away and you don't desire us to have that anymore. You want us to leave it at the foot of the cross.
Thank you so much for Jesus. We celebrate his death tonight. We pray these things in his name. Amen.